<clears throat> Our next reading comes from Acts, and we find ourselves in the middle, really, or kind of beginning towards the, the end of, of Paul's ministry, and he's before, he's in Jerusalem before the Jerusalem Council, and he's gotten himself into a little bit of trouble, and so the Roman authorities uh, place him in front of the Jerusalem council. And this is what happens. While Paul was looking intently at the council, he said, brothers, up to this day, I've lived my life with a clear conscience before God. Then the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near him to strike him on the mouth. At this, Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting there to judge me according to the law, and yet in violation of the law you order me to be struck? Those standing nearby said, do you dare to insult God's high priest? And Paul said, in what scholars think was a cynical way, I do not realize, brothers and sisters, that he was high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a leader of your people. When Paul noticed that some were Sadducees and others were Pharisees, he called out in the council, Brothers, I'm a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees. I'm on trial concerning the hope of the resurrection of the dead. When he said this, a dissension began between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. The Sadducees say there is no resurrection or angel or spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge all three. Then a great clamor arose, and certain scribes of the Pharisees' group stood up and contended, we find nothing wrong with this man. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? When the, the dissension became violent, the tribune, the authority, fearing that they would tear Paul to pieces, ordered the soldiers to go down, take him by force, and bring him into the barracks. That night the Lord stood near him and said, keep up your courage. For just as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so must you bear witness also in Rome. Join me in a prayer. Through this story, this encounter that we've just read about, O oh God, speak to us. Help us learn about another generation how you speak uniquely and especially and particularly through certain groups in certain ways at certain times. Guide us in this time and in the lives that we live, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So we've been talking about generations, right? And you'll you need to keep looking at this as you keep in place about, because I'm starting to use these words pretty quickly. So this will stay up for the, throughout the sermon. But we've been talking about generations. And what we've learned so far from generation experts, William Strauss and Neil Howe, is that a generation's length is approximately 22-ish years. So every 22-some-odd years, 18 to 24 years, they say, a new generation starts. <clears throat> we've also learned from them that there are four types of generations you see up there. And that these four types follow in a pattern and then repeats itself over and over and over again. The, the 
cycle starts with the idealist generation, followed by reactive, then civic, then adaptive, then it starts back over. We're in our fourth cycle, our fourth turn since the founding of our country. What I haven't told you about the generation cycle, as we call it, is that of the four types, two are dominant generations and two are recessive. I'll bet you can take a guess as to which are the dominant. The dominant ones are the civic generation type and the idealist generation type. The recessive generation types are the adaptive and the reactive. And it cycles between the two, dominant, recessive, dominant, recessive, back and forth, back and forth. We've talked about the civic generation talked about, which is the GIs and the millennials, we've talked about the adaptive generation, which is the silence and the now being born homeland, as they're supposedly going to be called, maybe that could change, and we've talked about, and so today, we're talking about the idealist generation, of which we have one, the boomer, baby boomer, boomer generation, right? <laughs> so, <coughs> idealists, idealists are a dominant generation like the civic generation. However, that is pretty much the only thing these two generation types hold in common. In absolutely almost every other way, they are polar opposites of one another. Where the civic generation tends to or comes of age during a secular crisis like World War II or the global financial meltdown of 08, they come of age during a secular crisis. The idealist generation type comes of age during a spiritual awakening. Spiritual awakening. Where the civic type generation tends to begin an era of outward focus, the idealist generation type tends to begin an era of inward focus. Where the civics will focus more on the group or we the idealists focus more on me or the individual. In other words, a civic type of generation will ask questions like, what's going on with the group? Idealists will ask questions like, what's going on with the individual? Don't forget the individual. Civics build things. Idealists start to question why they're there. They have a tendency to challenge the status quo, asking questions like, what are you doing? Why are you doing it? And even, what might God have to say about that? Idealists. The great example of the voice that I found, of the voice of the idealist type of generation, is from the movie of Steven Spielberg's movie, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. It's an alien movie, yes, but it's not like the invasion into the world kind of scary thing. Spielberg puts a spiritual quality to, to that story, and it's a, a movie filled with mystery and wonder and exploration and discovery. And what in this clip, Richard Dreyfuss, who's the protagonist, he's early in his career, and he is in this uh, interrogation room, you might say, with two members of the establishment, the system. We don't quite know if they're government people or what, but they're from the establishment. 
One's a Frenchman who you're not going to understand, and the other is the American counterpart, his interpreter. And Dreyfus is one of, among, of a group of people in the story that have felt compelled to come to this very spot where at the end of the movie the alien ships come and there's this whole thing going on. But he amongst this group of people who felt led, compelled, driven. He's drawn pictures of the spot and here he made it through barricades because they've evacuated it and everything and taken over. And here he is in this room and these two guys are questioning him about it and Dreyfus is beginning to get frustrated. Take a look. Monsieur Neri, please, one more question. N'avez-vous pas fait récemment une rencontre? Have you recently had a close encounter? Une rencontre plutôt inhabituelle? A close encounter with something very unusual. Who are you people? Monsieur Neri, s'il vous plaît, regardez bien les visages de ces gens, de ces hommes et de ces femmes, et puis dites-moi si vous les connaissez, ou alors sont-ils des étrangers? Are they to you? Yeah, except for her. Et vous êtes cru obligé, allez-vous, de venir ici? Two of you felt uh, compelled to be here? <laughs> yeah, you might say that. Because but, you, but what did you expect to find? An answer. That's not crazy, is it? That's the voice of the idealist generation type. The two guys represent the questioning and trying to control and manage what's going on out here. And Dreyfus is saying, you can't control what's going on in here. What is going on in here? Who are you people? What's happening? Why are you doing this? Where's God even in the midst of it? Paul and the apostles have that same fire in their bellies. I have no doubt that they come from, were part of an idealist generation type. After all, they came of age during the spiritual awakening of Jesus' time, where you had John the Baptist out in the wilderness eating locusts and doing all kinds of weird spiritual stuff out there. And all this new kind of stuff, this challenging kind of stuff going on. And Paul and the apostles, of course, came of age right along with them. Paul himself once had a close encounter with the risen Christ. And it awakened him to a whole new spiritual reality. So much so that he from that moment on felt compelled, driven to leave the church that he once served. He was a pillar in the establishment that he was in. And he left it, questioned it, began to challenge the status quo and felt as if God was calling him to do that very thing no matter what it meant for him personally, jail or whatever. And it got him into trouble, mostly got him into trouble with his own people. And here he is in Jerusalem 
and he's gotten into trouble. And the Roman authorities, you know, sent him before. They didn't quite get it. They sent him before the Jewish council. And here he is in our, in our reading today in, a, in, a, in an interrogation room, not unlike the one we just saw. And the council are the two guys, and Paul is Richard Dreyfus, And they're asking, they're, they're starting to accuse Paul of things. And Paul says what in our reading? You accuse me when you yourself violate the, you know, and... He starts to turn it on. He begins to be the one who asks questions. Goes so far as to even be able to pit the conservatives against the liberals, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Gets them into a whole argument. Starts to turn it on themselves. What are you doing? Why are you doing it? What does God have to say about it? He's challenging the status quo. Boomer generation. Same mentality. Same mentality. Boomers came of age during the spiritual awakening often called the consciousness revolution. Consciousness movement. Consciousness movement. During the late 60s, early 70s, right? Boomers came of age. Boomers are more interested in values and concepts than they are institutions or traditions. They, they were raised by GI parents, typically, who were outward focused. So it makes sense. It's, it's inevitable that boomers would eventually turn inward, begin to look inward. As Strauss and Howe put it, boomers found their parents' world in dire need of a major spiritual overhaul. Right? And so because of all that, from birth they learned to question, to challenge, to be rebellious. They're asking the question. Why are you doing this? They began to define themselves over and against the identity of their parents two generations back. Spiritualism over science. Righteousness over conformity. Even anger over friendliness. Even self at times over community. Like Paul... Boomers have no problem challenging the status quo in favor of the individual conscience. And it, it, even at middle age, they continue to define themselves by what they are not. The no fat, no caffeine, no nitrate, no aerosol movement, boomers. That's boomers in action. It even went all the way into the sports world where famous boomers like Joe uh, Namath began something called free agency. I'm a free agent. I'm free from the system. What are you doing? Why are you doing it? What does God have to say about it. Throughout their existence, the boomer generation has tried to infuse our culture with their values. 
And the funny thing is, though, that as a generation, there's a pretty even split over just what those values actually are. To oversimplify it, which a lot of this is oversimplified, by the way, to oversimplify it, the two camps are basically these. You have the super capitalist, win at all costs, almost overly materialistic side, and the decrease your footprint, save the earth, uh, non-materialistic, simplify side. And most everyone lives in the tension in between, but those are the, the basic sides. Boomers, in fact, have always been at the epicenter of the feud over moral authority. When it comes to churches, boomers have pretty much been all in, except they haven't always attended the church of their parents. Some have, many haven't. But what's happened is boomers have spawned, they spawned one of the most active periods of church formation in the 20th century. From, from in all the extremes, from, the, from fundamentalist groups to new age Jesus, Jesus movements and newfound spiritual experiences, you name it, boomers have kind of coined it. The Curcio, Emmaus, pilgrimage movement have been big, a big hit among boomers. The point is that this generation is much more interested in delving into matters of the soul, much more eager to talk about a personal relationship with God than any generation that existed before them. What are you doing? Why are you doing it? What does God have to say about it? This is their voice. This is their unique gift. You might call them prophets of our modern time, modern day Pauls in our world, all too willing to challenge us to look at who we are, what we do, and most importantly, why we do it. They, re they remind us to seek that which lives within ourselves. I hope you hear their voice. When you see a boomer and you think of Paul and the apostles, may you be challenged by the voice they bring, but also enlightened and lifted by it. May you be reminded of a God who is very much alive and on the move, taking us to new places, lifting us to new heights, surprising us with new things. For God has given you and your generation a special gift, a unique voice that the world needs to hear as long as you're willing to share it. Amen.